I want to say a huge thank you to all of you guys. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you were involved in the GLS. Uh, uh, we had uh, people here at 7, 7.30 in the morning on car park duties and, uh, and the whole thing. We, we had nearly 400 leaders here and uh, I tell you, and without shame or embarrassment, that there was a point yesterday where I called people forward for ministry and I'd spoken to Linda and we had our ministry team all lined up, uh, sort of all queued up, what have you, and I asked the ministry team to come out and the ministry team stretched right along the front here. And then I did this kind of call to these leaders. And you know what leaders are like? You know me. We're kind of uptight and aloof, right? Um, not. But, uh, but some are. And, and you just never know how they're going to take it. And there was a pause. And I said, come forward. And there was this pause. I thought, oh, my gosh. This is going to be horrible. And then suddenly something broke. And they flooded forward. And I, I, I teared up, I, I tell you, it was um, very moving and such a privilege that we as a local church could minister to leaders all, from all over the southeast of England. And they absolutely loved it. The prayer room, the first day, they had a steady little trickle, but something broke in that moment and they had more people going to the prayer room than at any other conference we've run for leaders. Sometimes three and four men crowded in the room getting prayer ministry. It was incredible. And, and we are thrilled and we are exultant and we are grateful and we are exhausted. But it was wonderful. And uh, I'd just like you to give yourselves a clap. You know, good job, church. Good job. No more. Well, say one more thing, actually. One more thing. You know, last week I was talking about, uh, I was talking about money. This was Jesus' second favorite subject next to the kingdom of God. I'm going to continue that theme today. But I began yes, last week's talk talking about the leaders and how when I came back from a sabbatical, it was so good to be back and it still is so good to be back. And, you know, there was lots of wonderful things to hear about and it was just tremendous. The church had charged on while we were away. And, but there were some challenges too. And I, I, I told you last week how uh, one of the challenges we had was we needed 50,000 pounds for some emergency repairs on the roof and, and some electrical stuff. And, uh, and also we, we were facing a 20,000 pound deficit on our general fund. So there were some very practical, so, you know, Seemingly non-spiritual, but actually very spiritual issues to face. And, and I said to the leaders, I was praying about it, and I just felt like the Lord said, go to the leaders and ask them to, to just quietly sort out the 50,000 pounds needed for the, the roof and the electrical repairs. And, and you know, I, I, I told you that these guys, these great guys, you, you know, I'm talking about you, spare your blushes here, but you came back to me and came back to us and, and provided 52,900 and something odd pounds, quietly. And it wasn't, there wasn't a great big gift, oh, I'll take care of that, Chris. It was, you know, the hundred or so leaders we hear, have here, just giving what they could, and, and it was taken care of, sorted. Now, I, I'm bragging on you again about that, and if you were here last week, you heard me say that. But do you know what? Yesterday... It was those same leaders 
that were taking up the servant's towel and emptying bins and dashing around trying to find something to unblock a loo. And it was, I mean, man, you guys are awesome. Incredible. Of such servant hearts. And I, I, I am so proud of you. I, I don't want to sound condescending, patronizing, or anything like that. I'm just proud of you. You guys rock, as some people say. So thank you. Thank you, and God bless you. And uh, we've had lots of people already emailing us and, and thanking us and twittering and all this kind of thing, saying, you know, uh, thank you so much for allowing us to come and share that two days with you. And they already are just coming back and saying thank you. It was life-changing. So wonderful. I must, uh, I'm a bit tired, so I'm, I've got to be careful. I don't just sort of wander off, you know. But anyway, let's try and get into this thing. And uh, if I can find my notes. So uh, last week, a very important key verse of last week, and I'm thinking about money. I've been reflecting a lot in this, the, the summer and indeed the autumn, just reviewing the whole issue of money and, and, and a kingdom perspective on money. And I said probably one of the first verses I'd want to throw at you is Matthew 6, 33, and uh, we saw that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom. Become kingdom-orientated. Become kingdom-preoccupied. Become kingdom-obsessed. The kingdom of Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things that are necessary for life and you know, whole body and soul together, they will come to you because our Father knows that we need them. The priority is that we seek first his kingdom. And I mentioned, and you'll go back, and if you missed it, listen to the podcast from last week. I talked about the principle of first fruits. This is something that emerges in the Old Testament, but carries forward in the New Testament. It is current in the 21st century, it's biblical teaching, that God gets the first bite of the cherry. Now, I need to hear this, because that's not always been true. So when I get my pay slip, God gets the first bite. Not, oh, well... You know, oh, here's the basket. Oh, have you got any change? Oh, my gosh. Oh, dear, I forgot. You know, that it's, God isn't at the tail end of things. God should be at the first, the very first part of our, our in, first in everything in our life. And so the first principle of godly management of money is that God gets the first bite. The second thing, again, check out last week's talk, was that, that you sometimes hear in contemporary Christian teaching, if you, if, if you go online or read books and things like that, you will hear people say that the whole, the whole teaching about tithing, and some of you know what I'm talking about there, uh, i.e. giving the 10%, that's Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're taught to be generous, the principle being that all things are God's, and so we should be generous. And, and I, said to you, I said to you last week, and I held fast to this, actually that is untrue. The, the New Testament teaching on money is not that we should be generous. It, it, does say, it does say, before you rush up to me in the coffee time, that if you are wealthy, it says that Christian ministers should, should charge, should, should encourage, should exhort the wealthy in this, the world's things to be generous. But actually, biblical New Testament teaching on money is not that we should be generous, but we should be sacrificial. There is a world of difference. You see, the whole business of being generous has this element of kind of you're in control and, you know, it's kind of discretionary and, and if you're in a good mood or if you're feeling magnanimous or this, then you're generous. And all that. But actually, if, if you work 
out your finances on the basis of, of, of offering a sacrifice of worship, sacrifice of praise through your giving to God, then you are in line with biblical teaching. Biblical giving is always sacrificial giving, and, and whether you are rich or poor, whatever your circumstances, that is, uh, that is true. We can all make a sacrifice. It should be life-changing. It, it should make us catch our breath. And that's true for all of us, whatever our economic situation. That's biblical giving. Well, we're going to carry on this little thing. And this, this, this talk this week is called The World Is Not Enough. And is that a, is that a Bond film? It is. I thought it was. I was in the worship and my mind was wandering. No, I'm teasing. I'm, no, my, my mind never wanders in the worship. And I thought, wasn't that a Bond film? I'm so tired, you know, I can't concentrate for more than two minutes. And, um, yeah, the world is not enough. And, and that's the title of this, this talk. So, you know, Matt or whoever, that's going on our podcast, The World is Not Enough. And let's just look at a little bit of scripture again. Matthew 16, verses 26 to 27. I want to just, I'm just going to spend another week on, on this, this whole money giving thing. Probably should spend more, but that's all that I think we can, we can afford at the moment. Matthew 16, <clears throat> what good will it be, actually, uh, Matt, I'm sorry, can I just go back, you see, I can tell I'm tired, Matthew uh, 6, 19 to 21, that's where I want to go, I'm sorry, thank you, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your, will your heart be also. You know, I, I, I've just got to be so careful I don't wander off. But you know, when I, I told you, when I, came, uh, when I came out of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem and I'd been seeing all these sights, the Lord just t caught me to see the pilgrims and... And he said to me in that moment, these are the glorious ones of whom I've spoken out of Psalm 16. These, these are my treasure. And you are his treasure. And our response to him treasuring you should be that we treasure him. We treasure him. And Jesus is in this, this passage of teaching, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, He's, he's talking again about money and finances, and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And you know, I, I was thinking only this morning, I got up early, and uh, I was thinking about some illustrations, and I, I thought of one which, which just really made me smile. I was, I was watching porn stars. No, 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 sorry, not P-O-R-N, uh, not P-A-W-N, yes, porn, you know, porn shop. Gosh, I, there was a, a flicker of amazement went round then. You all woke up then, yes, gosh, well, we're all awake now, yes, good. I, the second half of this sermon is going to be much, much better now, we're all awake. Because you were all serving with me yesterday, and we were all absolutely, you know, cream crackered. I was watching porn stars, yes, P-A-W-N. Right, got that, good. And uh, this guy brought in a bottle of champagne. I wish I could remember what it was. I'm sorry, I'm not a wine expert. But uh, it was one of only 
there were, there were thought to be only 13 bottles left in the world of this vintage. And the, uh, the guy, he's an, in the, who's one of the stars of this program, he's an amazing bloke. I mean, he's got an absolutely encyclopedic knowledge of stuff. But when he doesn't know about something, he's, he's clever. He doesn't pretend to know something. He'll say, I know a man who does, you know? So this guy brings in this bottle, which he quickly identifies as being an, an, an incredible find. It could be the 14th bottle. And he said, where did you get this? And he said, well, my granny got it. She worked for some band leader in the 30s, and he presented her with this. And it's, it's been on the sideboard all these years, and the whole family you know, says, that's granny's bottle of champagne. Don't drink it. You know, it's incredibly valuable. Anyway, they were on hard times, and he was wanting to sell this, not pawn it, but sell it. So the guy said, well, gosh, if it's genuine, this, this could be incredible, absolutely incredible. And then sort of off screen, he spoke to camera in the room out back. He said, you know, these things, one of these things was auctioned about four years ago for an investment company, and it went for six-figure sum, and I don't remember the sum. Anyway, they got a wine expert in, and the wine expert comes in, and he looks at it, and he's examining it, and he's holding it up to the light and all this kind of stuff. And he says, well, there's good news and bad news. He said, the good news is that this is a genuine bottle. This isn't a fake. This is the real deal. The bad news is it's been poorly stored. And I can see by holding it up to the light that it has gone completely off. There is a mush of gunk in the bottom there. How did you store it? And the man said, well, it was just on the sideboard in the, living, in, in the dining room. He said, yeah. Hmm. I'm so sorry, it's probably worth about 12 bucks. And the guy went, Ugh. he thought he was going to be wealthy. All these years, the family had been saying, don't touch that bottle, it's, it's treasure. That, you know, if ever times get tough, you know, we're, we're going to be all right, because we've got Granny's bottle of champagne. It's very rare. But in fact, time, and, and not storing it properly, had meant that the wine was ruined. Moths will come and destroy your wealth. Jesus says, watch out. Remember that little Franciscan Portuguese priest I heard speaking in a mission? He said, I couldn't understand a word he said, but he came up with this one phrase, love is only love when it's given away. God gives us his goodness, his kindness, and it's expressed in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways, but it's always to be used. It's always to be used. So, next, now we can get to the next thing. Thank you, Matt. I'm beginning to get into this, I think. Matthew 16, 26 to, to 27. You know, the world is not enough. And what Jesus says here later on, he says, What good it will, will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Well, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. You know, we, we give ourselves, we give chunks of our lives, we, we, we give more than we should to, to, to gaining and acquiring things, be it prestige or position or status or money or whatever. And Jesus says, you know, don't live like that. You're not meant to live like that. You weren't made to live like that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. May that be your priority. May that be the lens and the grid by which you view everything. 
Because anything less than that is not enough. The world is not enough. You can gain the world, but you will still end up loser. Because when Jesus comes back again, he's coming with his reward. He's coming with his reward. And the reward is for the children who've sought first the kingdom of God. One little thing, you know, just lay, uh, uh, a few thoughts about laying up riches in heaven. And Rick Warren tells the story of, of one of his congregation. Rick Warren is a well-known uh, pastor. He's, he wrote Purpose Driven Church, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. What? Purpose Driven Life. It's a huge bestseller and has become famous because of that. But he, he leads a church in Southern California. I met him myself when he was just beginning, and we were just beginning at the same time. We, he probably had about three or 400 people in the church. We had about 30. And I had the great privilege of sitting in his, in his office one Tuesday morning drinking coffee with a friend of mine, just you know, swapping stories and asking questions. It was, it was a master class even then. He's probably about my age, but the church now is absolutely huge, and he's written these best-selling books and the rest of it. But I remember him telling the story about well, one day, a, uh, he was in the office after a very heavy weekend, and like a heavy weekend like this, I guess, and, and his business manager came into his office and said, Rick, I've just got to tell you something. Someone has just made a gift of $640,000. $640,000. That will deal with our deficit. Boy, was he excited. I mean, actually, if you want to give us 640,000, or, well, I tell you what, if you give us, if you can help us with the 20,000 pound deficit we have, that would be wonderful, so think on that. But uh, 640,000, and you say, well, who is it? And the, guy, uh, and the business manager um, gave the name of the, of the donor, and he thought, well, that's, gosh, I don't even, to my shame, I don't even know this person. And he asked at the staff meeting, and then somebody in the staff meeting said, yeah, I, I think I know that guy. His wife died. He's, he's a, He's an older guy, he's, you know, just, he's just a faithful member of the congregation, really. His wife died a few months ago. She was in a lot of, um, a lot of pain and sickness. And um, anyway, he, he was kind of troubled by that. And so he, he just thought, look, I, I'm, I'm going to go find out where this guy lives. I'm going to go visit him. So he visited him. And the, this dear man was nearly fell over when Rick turned up at the door. And he said, hi there, hi there, Miss, Mr. Smith, whatever his name was. Can I just come in? And he said, you know, the guy invited him, and he said, Mr. Smith, I, I, you know, I just wanted to say thank you for that wonderful gift you gave. And I know from the past that big gifts like that, often if they're slightly unusual sums of money, $640,000, there's often a story there, and I'm intrigued to know what the story is. And so the guy said, well, my, my wife died. Um, just over a year ago now, actually. And she was very ill for a very long time, and I spent the last seven or eight years nursing her. And, and she became ill because she had been exposed to asbestos during part of her working life and uh, became very ill because of that. And there's been a, a, a class, what do they call these, class action thing. And she's just been awarded a year after her death, or I've been given, $640,000. And... He said, you know, it would have been a wonderful help if we'd had that earlier on, but she's gone now. She's gone to be with Jesus. She always loved the Lord. And I don't know what to do with that money. I don't need that money. So I thought I'd send it on ahead to where she is. So I just 
wrote the check. I just thought I'd send it on ahead. You see, when we give to the kingdom, we're doing more than just doing poor old Chris who's wrestling with a deficit problem of favor. We're sending it on ahead. Laying up treasures in heaven. You know, when we lay up treasures in heaven, our stock in heaven, this is some good news for you in this economy, our stock in heaven will never fall. Way! Our heavenly home will never drop in value. Our treasure will never be stolen, and our pension will never be paltry. Boy, that's good news. I've been paying into a pension fund since I was 26, and I think I might be able to buy a Mickey Mouse watch when I retire to celebrate. <laughs> Sheesh. Our stock in heaven will never fall, our heavenly home will never drop in value, our treasure will never be stolen, our pension will never be paltry. Ever. And when we compare with what this world offers us and the illusion of wealth, because, you know, we never have enough, do we? You know, I have far more resources now than when I was a young man with a young family struggling to, you know, make my way in the ministry and struggling to support my family. I have far more in the way of resources now, but I'm still financially challenged, as are you. Hands up if you're financially challenged. I'm looking for the ones who aren't financially challenged. <laughs> Quick, get the Polaroids out, you know. <laughs> I'm still financially challenged now. I've got kids and grandkids. And, you know, Fliss and I, we had our family early under the illusion that we'd raise them up and then they'd all go off and we'd have a wonderful time. But you actually, we missed something. <laughs> you never stop being their parents, whatever the age. And when grandkids come along, it just doubles all up. It's wonderful, but... Boy, we were suckered in. <laughs> we were suckered in. It's wonderful. Wouldn't have it any other way. But you never have enough. In fact, rich people say they never have enough. I've told you a million times, you've heard it before, Paul Getty was asked how rich is rich. Paul Getty was once one of the richest men alive. And he said just, Warren, he just, he just said one dollar more. Warren, is it Warren Beatty or Batty? But thank you. I am a bit, bit dim today, aren't I? What is it? Buffett. That's it. Warren Buffett. He has. He is worth an estimated fifty-two billion dollars. Interesting man. I'm not going to spend time telling you about him. But of that fifty-two billion dollars, he has allocated one billion for his children. And he's basically said, if they can't manage on that, there's something seriously wrong. And he has given 48 billion to the Bill and Sonia Gates Foundation, you know, who are doing incredible work now, the Microsoft founder, in particularly with, with issues facing uh, AIDS or, or, or the AIDS issue in, in Africa. He, he has given 48 billion to that. And, and he was, you know, there's been lots of comment about that, lots of interviews. And one of the things he said, uh, he, he, when he was asked about being wealthy, he said, well, what money does is just gives you a, a better class of unhappiness. <laughs> it's just, it's funny, isn't it, you know? But when we compare the illusion that wealth and status and power and influence offer us, and when we compare that to the riches of the gospel, 
Let me just give you three examples. In, 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 in uh, November and up to Christmas, we're going to be really sort of focusing in on, on, on just trying to get ourselves right with God and preparing for revival and enjoying revival. And I'm going to be looking at the gospel and teaching on that. What, what, what is this gospel that we talk about? What, is the go- what does that mean? Some of you are saying gospel. What's gospel? I'm going to talk about that. We're going to teach into that, the benefits of the gospel. Let me just give you three little things here, more or less off the top of my head. First of all, we are adopted as children. Romans 8, 15. That's actually 18, not 18. There's not 18 chapters in Romans. But Romans 8, 15, we're adopted as sons and daughters. The Bible says that we were actually, before we, we come to know Jesus, before we make him our treasure, we're actually enemies. We may not think, well, I'm not an enemy. But actually, that's how we're viewed. That, that is... As, as children of Satan, and, we, and you say, well, I'm not a child of Satan, you know, but we are enemies of Christ because we're self-centered. We put ourselves at the center of the universe. We have, we have dethroned God and said, well, you know, I'm going to be the judge of all things, what's good and bad, what's this, that, and the other. And there's a profound and fundamental arrogance there that the Bible calls sin. But that all changes when we come to know Christ and we become adopted as sons and daughters. We are family. And some days we're good kids and some days we're bad kids, but it never changes. That is absolutely, that is, that is written on the palm of his hands. And one lovely, one, many lovely prayers, but somebody said, thank you for the, that it's all about grace. It's all about the gift of God and not about what I do. And that is it. You know, in the prayer time after the ministry, after the worship. And and it's all about, it's all about what he has done for us. He's adopted us as his precious children. And now he he coos over us like a a new mother cooing over the baby in the cot. That's the imagery in the scriptures. God coos over us. Dotes on us. Because we were once lost, but now we've come home to him. And we will never be snatched out of his hand again. Never. Wonderful. That's an eternal thing. The second thing. All things work for our good. Romans 8.28. You know, I know you guys pretty well. I know many of you pretty well. And I tend to get to know you when you're really going through it. And a lot of us are really going through it. All sorts of reasons, sometimes health issues, sometimes employment issues, sometimes kids' issues. You know, life is full of challenge, isn't it? But one of the benefits, one of the treasures of the gospel that becomes ours, that everything becomes redemptive, everything. Whatever you go through, whatever trial and tribulation you have to go through, you know, when the wheel falls off your life big time, yeah, there may be things to go through and difficult decisions to make, but everything becomes redemptive. Everything ultimately works around for our good. It's an extraordinary thing. And those who've been walking with Jesus for some time and talk to them, don't just take my word for it, that bears out. You know, Fliss and I have been married 40 years nearly next year and, you know, seen a bit of life now and we've had some challenges and some tragedies and the rest of it and but and yet in this kingdom thing that we're supposed to seek above all things 
we find somehow God turns even the most blackest, darkest moments around, ultimately, for our good and our benefit. Why would you want to trade that for what the world has to offer, which is transitory and passing and fleeting? And today's hero is yesterday's has-been. Why would we do that? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? And then thirdly, the best is yet to come. <laughs> the best is yet to come. Psalm 16, 11, I mentioned Psalm 16 where God talks about us being his, his treasured ones, the ones in whom he has all his delight. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Why trade eternity for what this world has to offer? You know, I, 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 you know this. Somebody at this conference yesterday, one of the speakers said, you know, very often we don't need to be taught new stuff. We just actually need to be reminded about what we believe. We need to be reminded of these things. And hopefully we're going to spend the autumn reminding ourselves of the wonders of the gospel and this kingdom thing. But, but the truth of the matter is this, is that we so easily are distracted. We get our priorities out of kilter. Suddenly the Lord and his kingdom becomes an afterthought, a postscript. Oh, that, oh my gosh, I nearly forgot. Rather than our magnificent obsession. Our magnificent obsession. And as he treasured us and treasures us, so we should treasure him. So there you have it then. Two weeks on money and its hold on us, money and how we should approach it. And I, I'm, you know, Amphis and I, we've already done a little bit of homework and thought about that. I, I really encourage you to reflect upon that and try and see if you need to make a few adjustments not just for the sake of the church and his work here, but for your own sakes. And explore these things and talk about these things. And as we seek his kingdom, as you seek the kingdom, you know what? You find yourself in the presence of the king. Let's stand. If, thank you, Joe. Thanks. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you because uh, it's still a wonderful adventure. It's still a wonderful process of discovery as we, as we learn new things, but sometimes as we remind ourselves of just what it is you've done for us, taken us from darkness and put us in the light and we would be people of the light and we ask and invite you to shed your light into our lives so that where there's darkness or shadows lurking still that we might we might Lord God have the courage and the boldness to let go of things of darkness to stop lingering in the shadows and step into this wonderful light in Jesus name